0: We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, First Samuel, chapter 1, and we'll take verse 17 as our text. First Samuel, chapter 1, and verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Samuel was a mighty prophet of the Lord. He was one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He was raised up at a critical point in the history of the children of Israel. The book of Judges ends with these words. In those days there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes what a sad situation no king in Israel and every man every woman did that which was right in their own eyes but does that not describe the situation in our own country today in our western world everyone does what's right in their own eyes When it comes to marriage, is that not the case? All kinds of marriage, same-sex marriage, all kinds of immoral relationships, and who dare criticise them? I'm free to do what I like. That's the attitude. And if you say, that's wrong, you're guilty of hate crime, so they say. And not just that, but they go around parading... Their immorality, proud of their sin. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. It's true, really, of all the commandments, isn't it? Think of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. One person is Islam, one person is Buddhism, another person is Hinduism, one's a Jehovah Witness, one's a Mormon. One's an atheist. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. The second commandment. About worship, false worship. Well, you look at the churches today. and There's all kinds of worship. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. What pleases me, what entertains me, what turns me on, any kind of... Music and bands and choruses and dancing, who knows what else? Third commandment Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes swearing and cursing and crude and false la- evil language. The Sabbath day, every man does what's right in his own eyes. Is that not the case? Who keeps the Sabbath? Who of your neighbours keeps the Sabbath? You see them out in their gardens. You see them washing their cars. You see them watching the football or whatever. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. The fifth commandment. Honour thy father and mother. Respect authority. Oh no. I'm free. I can do what I like. I live the way I want. And so it is. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. That was what it was like in the days of Samuel. But God raised him up and raised him up with a purpose. He was used by God to turn Israel back. And he became a wonderful judge filled with the spirit, a wonderful prophet. And eventually he anointed David. A man after God's own heart to be the king of Israel, a type of the Messiah, Israel's greatest king, and the forerunner of the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Samuel, and here we have the birth of Samuel in this chapter. Well, first of all, we have here today a troubled soul. Hannah was a greatly blessed individual. She had a husband who loved her. She was in a wealthy home. Lovely home. She was well-dressed and she had plenty of food. When they came with an offering to the Lord, you notice that they brought three bullocks. A huge offering. An ephah flower. Again, a huge offering to the Lord. They were a very wealthy and prosperous home. So there she was. She had this lovely home. She had nice clothes. She had a husband who loved her. Everything seemed to be going so well for her. And yet... She's a troubled soul. Why? Because there was one thing wrong. She had no child. And it was seen as a great shame in Israel, particularly in Israel, not to have a child. There was such blessing connected with a child who would be born. The seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head and barrenness was seen as a curse. Every woman wanted to have children. And it wasn't just that she didn't have a child, that was enormous. But to make matters worse, her husband had another wife, Penina, and she had lots of children. It was allowed in the Old Testament to have more than one wife. But it was never set forth as good. In fact, in every case where there is more than one wife in the Scriptures, you see the same thing. It leads to trouble, jealousy, and conflict, and envy. Why? Because God set out at the beginning how it should be God created man in his own image male and female created he them God created Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then you remember how he brought a great sleep deep sleep upon Adam and took a rib out of his side and formed not two women but just one woman out of that rib brought her to Adam and he said, Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, therefore she shall be called woman. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Not they three or they four, but they two shall be one flesh. It was allowed, but it was not approved of. The first case that we have of a man having more than one wife was a man called Lamech, a murderer, a wicked man. So here's this man, Elkanah. He's a prosperous man, very wealthy. He has two wives, and Hannah is his favorite. Very likely she was very good-looking. Maybe she had a very pleasing personality. She was a godly woman. There was so much that was attractive about her. But then he had this other woman, Peninna. And when they had the feast there, up at Shiloh, he would give a portion to Peninna and to her children. But to Hannah, he would give a worthy portion, a special portion. He was making it so plain that Hannah was his special one. And of course, Peninna felt jealous. And Penenna knew how to wind up Hannah and how to make her feel horrible and sad and miserable. And so there was this conflict going on, Hannah provoking, being provoked by Penenna, and eventually one day it came to a head. There they were at Shiloh. It was a time of feasting, of joy and of gladness. Hannah got her double portion. Peninnah was provoking her. And all Hannah could do was weep. She felt so sad. She felt so bereaved, so, as it were, under a curse. She felt everything against her. Her husband said to her, am I not better unto you than ten sons? But She couldn't see it that way. She felt... So sad. So sad, in fact, that she couldn't eat, couldn't drink. All she could do was weep. And in the end, she got up. The feast was over, and she went to the door of the tabernacle. And there, she poured out her heart to the Lord. I wonder, are you somebody today who's got a big trouble in your life? Maybe nobody here knows about it. But there's something that's grieving you. That's worrying you. That's burdening you down. Something inside. You're deeply troubled. You're afflicted. You're sad. Your heart's broken. You long for a certain answer. You long for deliverance. But there's this gnawing pain. This anguish. This agony. Hannah, a troubled soul. Are you today a troubled soul? But then secondly, we notice here a real prayer. Some prayers are just... Repetition. You know how some people say the Lord's Prayer. Maybe they say it every day and they run through it like they would through a nursery rhyme. It's not prayer. And then there's another kind of prayer where, yes, you use your own words and you say, Lord bless this, Lord bless that, bless this one, bless that one, heal this person. And again, it's just, it's a kind of matter of duty. And it's said. And you go through it and there's no real meaning in it. You're barely concentrating on what you're doing. You're just going through the form. How different that is from real prayer. Real prayer. And what is real prayer? Well, it's described here as she poured out her soul. That's prayer. When you pour out your soul to God. When you speak from your heart. When you speak with full concentration. And all your thoughts are gathered together as it were. And focused in upon God and upon your prayer. You're coming to the Lord with a burden. And you mean it. Real prayer. Pouring out our heart. When we're desperate. We really pray. It's amazing how. How empty so many of our prayers are these days. We have life so easy don't we. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you pray that prayer. Well there's plenty of bread in the cupboard. And there's bread in the shop. And I've got money for it. How different in times of great poverty. Recently I was reading the story of a woman, a widow in a time like that. This widow woman, she had no food. And her children put her children to bed. They were hungry. Got up the next morning. Again, no no bread. They had worshipped together. And she prayed. Prayed for bread again. How earnestly she prayed. Could she send her children to school when they had nothing, nothing to eat? How earnest in the depth of her need. And then there was a scratching at the door. She went to the door and there was a dog with a large loaf in its mouth. The ravens had fed Elijah. And the dog fed this woman and her family. The Lord hears real prayer. Earnest, serious prayer. And that's the way our prayer should always be. God has no delight in half-hearted prayers, ritualistic prayers, empty words. They just mock God. Don't mock God with your prayer but pour out your heart to God. Ask God for a sense of your need so that you will pray for for those things you really need. And we might have plenty of the riches and prosperity of this world and yet have real need. And every one of us has real needs if only we understood and saw what these needs are. If only we saw how great God is so that we would really praise him. If only we saw how good the Lord has been to us so that we would be really grateful and thankful to him in our prayers. If only we saw the needs of the world around us as we should see them. Then we pour out our heart to God pleading for the salvation of those around us. Real prayer. Do you know what it is to, to really pray? Not just playing with prayer, but really praying. So here she is, and she prays, and she pleads for a son. Pleads that the Lord would give her a man-child. And she makes a vow, a promise, a solemn promise to God. If God will give her a son, she will give that son to the Lord. She will devote him totally to the Lord. No razor to come upon his head. He will be a Nazarite from the womb. And he will spend his days serving God. She wants God to be honoured. And she wants God to be put first. We are to pray in that way. With our whole heart. But seeking not my wealth. My prosperity. My honour. My glory, but seeking the glory of God. Real prayers with real tears. Next we notice a bad misunderstanding. She had gone to the tabernacle. And there was Eli sitting by a post of the temple or of the tabernacle, sitting there. She wanted to be at the tabernacle because that was where God dwelt. Seated on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubims and the Holy of Holies. There at the tabernacle, the sacrifices were being offered. Animals were being slaughtered. The blood was being shed. The atonement was being made. The types were being offered. And the blood of Christ was being displayed. Why should God answer our prayers? Because we're good? No. Because we're faithful? No. Because we're earnest? No. Because we need it? No. The only reason why God should answer our prayers is for Jesus' sake. Because Jesus died on the cross. The blood of Christ earns an answer for our prayers. And Christ takes our prayers and puts them, along with his own intercession, in the censer of the Lord and burns the incense, as it were. The sweet savour of his incense, his sufferings, his death, mingled with our prayers, Mm. makes them acceptable to God so that he gives us an answer in mercy there she is then at the door of the tabernacle and as she prays she doesn't pray out loud she's speaking in her heart her mouth is moving as she mouths the various words her lips moved, but she said nothing And there's Eli, the old man, the godly old man. And he was a godly old man. I've heard people criticize Eli and put down on him. But Eli was a mighty man of God. He had his faults. And so do you and I. And so does every other godly man in the scriptures. We all have our faults. There's none righteous, no, not one. And there's no servant of the Lord, perfect. He had his faults, but he was a godly man. The high priest, and he lies watching this woman, and he sees how her mouth is moving, but nothing is coming out. And he sees her distress, and he doesn't understand it. He thinks she's drunk. Well, it was a time of feasting, and sometimes the godless women would, and godless men too, would overindulge. They would eat too much, and they would drink too much at the feast time, and so they would end up drunk. And he takes her for An ungodly woman. And he says to her. Put away your wine from you. How long will you drink wine? He misunderstands her. Sometimes friends. We can be misunderstood. We can be misunderstood by. Even godly people. And maybe misunderstood by the elder. And even by the minister. And that can be very hurtful. But you've got to realize that the minister's not God. He doesn't know everything. And so sometimes he says things and he does things that he shouldn't. But there's one that will never misunderstand us. That's God. And that's a wonderful comfort to us. Even although everybody, even although everybody in the congregation would misunderstand you, It's a great comfort to know that god understands god cares and god knows what you're going through but then a wonderful encouragement she explains to eli she has not actually eaten anything she's not drunk any wine or strong drink She is speaking in the bitterness of her soul to God. She's not a daughter of Belial, a child of the devil. But she's got a broken heart. And out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief have I spoken. She's pouring out her soul and she's so distressed. As she's there praying, she's forgotten that people are watching. It's as it were, she doesn't care who sees her. She's not concerned about people. All she's concerned about is God and getting through to God. And God hearing her prayer and God answering it. And so she tells Eli that she's praying to God and praying in the bitterness of her soul, in her agony. And notice what he says. He encourages her. He says, go in peace. You see, Eli was the high priest. And the high priest also was the teacher of the people. And God sometimes spoke through the high priests. Remember even godless Caiaphas. He said, it is expedient that one man should die for the people. And he said that because he was high priest. He didn't understand what he was saying. But he was speaking a glorious truth. It's, it's right, it's necessary that one man should die for the people. It's necessary that Christ should die for the salvation of men and women. It was a glorious truth that the wicked high priest was saying. And God was using the mouth of Caiaphas. Well, here's godly Eli, and God is using Eli's mouth and she, she, Eli says to her go in peace the God of Israel grant you your petition trust God and she did she came with her burden to the Lord and she left that burden with the Lord so often you and I we come with our burdens don't we and we pray to the Lord And then we take our burden back and away we go. And we're still carrying our burden. When the Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall thee sustain. We take it to God and then we take it back. That's not what we're to do. We are to come to God with our grief and our sorrow and our petitions. And believe in him. And believe that he loves us. Believe that he cares for us. Trust God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord Jehovah for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. <coughs> Go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition. And she believed. And she went away and she ate and she drank and she was no more sad. She had prayed a real prayer and she left it with God and believed that God would give her what was good. And God will always give his people what is good. Oh, taste and see that God is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. Fear God as saints, none that Him fear shall be with want oppressed. The lions young may hungry be and they may lack their food, but they that truly fear the Lord shall not lack any good. Be anxious for nothing, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Be careful for nothing, but cast your cares on the Lord. Trust him. And that's what he did. And so next we see how a special child is born. They go home. And Elkanah knows his wife, and in due time the child is born. This child who has to have a great role in the history of God's people. And it's fascinating to see how very important individuals in God's kingdom are often born to barren women. We think of Isaac. What an important person Isaac was, born to Baron Sarah when she was ninety. We think of Jacob. Rebekah and Isaac had been married for twenty years before Jacob was born. Yet what a significant person <coughs> Jacob was. And then we think of Joseph. How Rachel. Longed for a child for many years. In the end she said to Jacob, give me children or I die. And God in his mercy gave her a child. And she called his name Joseph because God would add another. And God did add another. And Benjamin was born. But she died, giving birth to Benjamin. Give me children or I die kind of frustration and anger with God and God gave her what she desired but she died giving birth to Benjamin you think of Manoah and his wife they gave birth in their old age to a very important child Samson he again wasn't perfect but he was a mighty man of God And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And God moved him between Zorah and Ishtal In the camp of the Lord he was moved by the Spirit. And he began to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And he destroyed more through his death than through his life. And so became a type of Christ who saves us through his death. And then we come on, of course, to John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age. They have a child. The greatest, none greater born amongst women than John the Baptist. At that point, such a great child. Such an important role. The forerunner of the Messiah. The proclaimer. Of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Preparing the way for him. John the Baptist who experienced a great revival. As he preached in the wilderness of Judea. And multitudes came out into the wilderness to hear him. And were converted. And were baptized in the Jordan. Washing away their sins. Trusting in the Messiah. John the Baptist. What is God telling us through this? He's telling us that salvation is of grace. It's of God. It's not of man. When man has reached the end and when there's barrenness and there's no hope of a child, God intervenes. And God shows that salvation belongs to him from beginning to end. Old women having children, wonderful children, so that God will get all the glory. God gave that child. God raised up that child. And God used that child in the deliverance of his people. You see the same thing, of course, in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man's weakness. What can a virgin do, the Virgin Mary, to produce a child? Impossible. The angel said, You shall have a child. How can that be when I am not known man? Oh, yes, you'll have a child. Because God takes the weak things of this world. And when I am weak, then am I strong. God works miracles. God is the God of the unexpected, God is the God of miracles. Man's weakness, God's glory. When I am weak, then am I strong. And this child, Samuel, is a clear answer to prayer. When you're desperate, pray. Always pray. Pray without ceasing. But be sure and pray. Pray when you're desperate. I think of... um, Charlie, a drug addict from Kilmarnock. He was in a really bad way, using injecting himself with heroin. <clears throat> his legs were all diseased, and the doctor was talking about amputating his legs. And there he was sitting alone in his flat wondering what he should do. And he remembered that he had been taught in Sunday school. Long, long ago, he'd been taught in Sunday School, if you're desperate, pray to God in the name of Christ. And he prayed to God in the name of Christ. He never took drugs again. Today he's an evangelist and he's still got his legs. He goes about doing good. Wonderfully transformed. Because God answers prayer. And God answers even the prayers of the unconverted. Yes, in his providence, he's gracious even to the unconverted who cry out to him in their desperation. And so she had a child and she called his name Samuel, meaning that I have asked him of the Lord. And finally we see that uh, this child was given to the Lord. Hanad made a vow. And she kept it. Do you keep your vows? Have you kept your marriage vows? Have you kept your baptism vows? Bringing up your children in the fear of the Lord? Have you kept the vows that you made as you came to the Lord's table? Paying your vows unto the Lord to serve him? The promises that you make to God do you keep them? She kept her vow. And so when Samuel was weaned at that time, child would not be weaned in Israel till they were about three years of age. She um, took the child up to Eli and handed him over to serve the Lord. She gave him back to God, the God who had given that child to her. In a sense, when God gives us children, yes, we are to give that child to God. And we do that in baptism, don't we? We hand the child over to God and we say, Lord, I want this child to be yours. Take this child. And God gives the child back to us and says, bring up this child for me. And believe in me. And expect, expect, expect God to work in the heart of your child. Don't expect your child to go astray, as too many parents do. But expect that God will bless that child as you, by grace, seek to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Who cares about whether our children are educated or popular or successful or wealthy? What do these things matter The only thing that matters is that our children be saved. What shall it profit a man though he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing matters really in comparison to the salvation of our children. We are to give our children to the Lord just as as Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord and what a blessed giving that was and what a blessed child that was how important then it is to come with our prayers and our petitions and our longings pour out our heart to the Lord believe in him, trust in him Take him as the God that hears and answers prayer and look to him for wonderful answers. Let's pray. O oh Lord our oh God, we thank thee for the teaching of thy word, for the riches of the scriptures, for the blessings that thou hast set before us there. We thank thee that thou art a prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God who says to us, Ask and you shall receive. Help us truly to pray and help us to see the Lord working mightily in our children and working mightily in our lives. Be thou glorified in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 116. Psalm 116, and we'll sing verses 1 to 6. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because my voice and prayers he did hear. I, while I live, will call on him who bowed to me his ear. Of death the cords and sorrows did about me compass round. The pains of hell to cold on me. My grief and trouble found. Psalm 116, verses 1 to 6. I love the Lord
1: before.
0: on Thursday evening at 7.30 services next Sabbath usual times 11am and 6.30pm God willing there are some May witnesses ready for collection today Uh, as happened last month only part of the order has been delivered we hope to have the remainder before too long so check if yours has come Uh, the leaflets on the table about the book there are leaflets on the table about the book written by uh, Reverend Hugh Ferrier entitled Ministers of the Free North Church 1843 to 1874 if you wish a copy then put down your name and if ten copies are requested it will be six pounds a copy also another book the latest edition of the Seminary Journal Uh, is available Uh, volume 6 has just been published and it's hoped to have it available for collection at the assembly next week the price for collection from the assembly is five pounds per copy as opposed to the retail copy price of 7.99 there are a few leaflets on the table and a sheet for names for those interested in that um, book as well. And Mrs. Clark, there's some meeting there about, a notice there about Mrs. Clark being home now from hospital, and we trust better. Closer. The, <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the com- communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.